This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 797, and I'm your host, David Green. Wait, no. That was pretty good. I've got notes. Usually, David goes, Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show. And then he does it. You didn't do the finger. You got to do seven. Oh, nine, yeah. seven. I do the, the yeah, hand. It's seven, okay. Nine, seven. Yeah. So we'll, we'll workshop it. Yeah. If I had to do it over again, I would have probably just stuck to bigger luxury properties and probably less, you know, maybe three to five luxury properties that would gross 100000 a year. It should be quality, not quantity. Rob, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. You know, I, I am excited to always share the mic with you, especially when we're talking about short-term rentals. And we are doing that today with our guest, Jenny Vega, who's absolutely crushing it. She's crushing it in the world of unique stays and adding amenities and supercharging her revenue with these unique stays and also buying cheap property and cheap homes and proving all the haters wrong that you actually can still make a lot of money on a $90,000 house. Wasn't that crazy? Yeah, she she also talked about how she bought a house for four hundred thousand dollars that grossed about a hundred thousand dollars. So just a really amazing conversation with Jenny. I'm excited to get into it. But Rob, I feel like maybe we should also just let people know who I am that I, I didn't just like hijack this uh this podcast. That's right. Yeah, terrible, terrible host. I'm a terrible host. Yeah. And let me say, I always get in trouble because people will come and talk to me, and then my wife will stand there for like ten minutes, and then they'll leave. She's like, "You're horrible <laughs> at introducing people." I'm like, "I thought you knew them. I'm sorry, I forgot." That's just what that's just what happened right now. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Tony. Yeah. So my name is Tony J. Robinson. I am the co-host of the other Bigger Pockets podcast, the Real Estate Ricky podcast, and uh, I'm stepping in today because, like we said, we're, we're talking short-term rentals, and and Rob and I are good buds, and we love talking all things Airbnb, especially when we can do it in front of the mic together. So um, I guess if you guys want to learn more about me, go over to the Real Estate Rookie podcast. Uh, you guys can also follow me on Instagram. It's at Tony J. Robinson on YouTube. We're at the Real Estate Robinsons. And um, yeah, I love I love talking all things real estate. Wow. Do you got any affiliate links you want to plug to, buddy? Dang. Yeah, man. You know, hey, if you want to <laughs> sign up. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So this was a good episode. What were some of your favorite parts? You know, I, I I talked about this a little bit at the end, but I, I think Jenny's kind of got like this fearlessness to her um, where she's, you know, eager to just kind of jump in and, and figure things out. And uh, I really, I really love that part. And she also gives like a little nugget at the end about listing optimization. And I wish we could have spent some more time on that, but we were, we were so deep into the episode. Um, we we kind of breezed through it. But if you're looking for ways to optimize your listing as a short-term rental host, great topics on that. And then just market selection in general, Rob, I, I think that's one of the things that holds so many aspiring Airbnb investors back is their inability to select a market. And I think just between the three of us, you have a really good discussion on kind of the framework you should be using when you're making that decision. Yeah. So before we bring Jenny on, like even if short-term rentals aren't your thing, there's a lot of discussion in this episode that just applies to real estate investing, period. And you'll pick up tactics and strategies and just a lot of mindset stuff too around being successful as a real estate investor. Love it, man. We got a lot to cover in today's episode. But before we cover it, today's quick, quick, quick tip is next time you're looking for a potential deal, see if it follows the golden triangle rule. And if you don't know what the golden triangle is, then you're going to want to listen to today's episode because we talk all about how this rule can make you a lot of money in the short-term rental game. Listen, it's not coffee or donuts. It's not campfires or s'mores, not peanut butter or jelly. Great things happen when two good things come together. So why choose between cash flow or appreciation? Rent to Retirement's new construction homes give you both. 
Rent-to-Retirement offers newly built homes that attract the best tenants with fewer repairs and outstanding rental markets. That means more monthly cash flow for you and plenty of equity growth in the background. Plus, their creative financing options let you buy investment properties with just 5% down. Not 20%, not 10%, 5% down. Rent-to-Retirement offers turnkey new construction homes already built, leased, and managed for you. Their investing experts find the best markets that consistently offer double-digit returns and prices as low as $150,000. And they've got more five-star reviews than any company on Bigger Pockets. You invest, Rent-to-Retirement does the rest. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. And BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners' capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. A quick background about today's guest, Jenny Vega. She owns seven units in six markets, acquired all of these in just the last three years. And part of her edge in the short-term rental market is unique stays, partnering, and breaking the short-term rental rules. With all of that said, Jenny Vega, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Before we get into your backstory, what is the way that you would summarize your buying strategy? Part of my buying strategy has been to go into some markets that most short-term rental investors would never consider and also buying less expensive properties than a lot of other investors would look at and also diversifying a lot of investors by 
most of their properties in one area. We've actually spread out a little bit further. Uh Yeah. Okay. And how has that been assembling your teams? Do you have a bunch of different teams in all of your different properties? Or do you have like one big kind of overarching umbrella that sort of runs everything for you? So every every area has a different team. And that actually hasn't been hasn't been very bad. We've organically found our teams uh, through word of mouth, Facebook groups. Um, that process has been pretty seamless. And um, as far as the markets that we've chose, every market has a totally different story. Uh, right now, now that we have seven, I've gone really deep into Facebook groups and mastermind groups. And it's funny because now, you know, I hear more and more buy in vacation markets, buy in vacation markets. But we didn't know anything three or four years ago when we started. And because we didn't know anything, we um, bought our first two rentals in totally non-traditional markets that if we knew better, we probably wouldn't have. And so sometimes I think if you go off your gut, it serves you well. And knowing what we know now, maybe we wouldn't have purchased those, but those first two purchases actually served us really well. And I think there's different strategies for different reasons. Our first purchase was actually in a Midwest city that I grew up near, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is certainly not a tourist market by any means, but it's done really well for us. And it was very inexpensive. And at the time, we couldn't really afford very much. And uh, it's done well. It's uh, cash on cash return has done has done well. And going back, I would have I would have done it again. And I think the Midwest in general is a market that you don't hear about much in short-term rental land. It's not very sexy. And there's nothing special about Milwaukee. You could insert Columbus or St. Louis or Kansas City. And I think most of these bigger um, Midwest cities are really the same. The numbers are similar. So we bought our Milwaukee home for $160,000 at the very end of 2019 and uh, now it's worth a little over 200 grand. So very affordable numbers. And it's crazy. I see a lot of my friends spend 700 grand on their first short-term rental, these crazy numbers. Yeah, or more. People people are spending seven figures. You know, it's it's insane. But Jenny, what I, what I want to know, because I, I think it's interesting, and, and Rob, you've kind of gone this with this kind of strategy also. All, all of our active short-term rentals right now are split between two different markets. And I have some friends who have like, you know, 30, 40 units all in one city. And there's economies of scale that you get when you, hey, we've built out our cleaning team. We've built out our our rehab crew and our, and our maintenance team. Um, and, and you can get really efficient with your operations when you stack kind of multiple units into one market. But there are some other benefits, I think, that come along with kind of spreading things out. So what what was your mindset? Like, why not go deep into this Milwaukee market if it worked so well for you initially? Why continue to kind of spread yourself out? Yeah. So that actually was not a conscious decision. And I think it is smart to to do the economy as a scale. So we started in Milwaukee because we knew the area. At the time, we actually didn't know for sure if we wanted to do a long-term or a short-term. And we wanted a market that can pivot to either. And um, it's also a really good midterm market. So we like that rental because it has actually been a long-term during COVID. Uh, we actually might make it long-term again after the summer because it's a very old home and guests are actually very rough with it. Our handyman bills are pretty high. So that that market could, could do both. Our second rental uh, is in the middle of Oklahoma and 
we actually, to be honest, we we bought that for the wrong reasons. We've made so many mistakes and we still make a lot of mistakes in this journey. And we bought that one just because I went to college there, which to be honest is a really stupid reason to buy a rental. We bought that one the beginning of 2021. We paid $92,000, but the cash on cash return there is is excellent. That one last year grossed $39,000. And in 2021, you know, most most investors were overpaying, you know, the situation in 2021. And so we we buy this in the middle of Oklahoma and we were short-term rental number three or four in this entire little city. And currently there's only, I think, nine or 10 of us, if that. And there is not very much tourism in this city. And there is actually not much numbers to prove either in this town. So again, that's totally another rule that was broken. Now we're more savvy and you know if you're going to buy a short-term rental, you know you check your DNA and you check Rabu and you do all these things. So we just went into a blind and we actually walked around like stores and just like little uh, spots in the town. And I just actually walked up to people and I said, hey, what do you think about a short-term rental in your town? And you're you're brave. That's a that's a brave question to ask. I a, hate them. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. yeah, you, you never know what response you're going to get. But, exactly. but I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Like I, I think a lot of the markets that we've tried to move into, I've submitted offers like all across the country. And a lot of it is just like relational, right? It's like, I have some kind of relationship to this market. So I, I don't think it's a bad starting spot, but you still want to be able to go back and, and kind of validate that, okay, I, I have a connection here and I'll let me make sure that it, it makes sense. Because Rob, how many markets are, are you in right now? Mm, yes, uh, that's a lot. I, I want to say 10 or 12. Let's see. Yep. Yeah. 10 or 12, something like that. So and I, I agree, Tony, honestly, I, Jenny, I don't think it's a bad idea at all. If you went to college there, I think that gives you an advantage. I mean, obviously there are so many ways that you can choose a market. I always say find a, something in your backyard. I like giving that advice for anyone that's just getting started. But I also like the idea of finding a market where you might have boots on the ground. So let's say you have family in that city that might be able to help you or maybe can send packages to that family to hold while you're setting it up. I like finding markets that I have some familiarity with. You happen to know that city because you went to school there for roughly four years, I'm sure. I went to school in Austin and uh, I, I'm a UT I'm a UT guy, so we might have some some rivalries here. But <laughs> you know, for me, I like I always love the idea of investing in Austin because I knew that city like the back of my hand, even though I didn't necessarily, you know, have any boots on the ground, all my friends moved away. I was just like, I know this city and I know I know what it could be. So I actually think it's a pretty good strategy. Well, thank you. <laughs> Jenny, tell us a little bit, paint us a picture of your life before you found real estate. Tell us about your job, what kind of income were you making, family, et cetera. Just give us the whole gambit here. Yeah. So actually, my, my job is, is still pretty much the same. You know, I, I know some investors, um, they quit their job and they, you know, ride on unicorns and everything after they find real estate. So I'm very fortunate. I have two great um, day jobs or day businesses. I've been with uh, Cutco for many, many years, 21 years, actually. And I wow. sell uh, closing gifts through that company to real estate agents, which actually uh, is sort of indirectly how I found real estate investing. And then I also publish a magazine called Real Producers. And so my income uh, you know, do very well, a um, couple hundred thousand a year. Wow. And I'm still very active with both businesses. And um, I actually found real estate investing through a friend I met through my Cutco business. He wrote a national best-selling book called Hold, H-O-L-D. And it's a, it's a yellow book. 
And what's interesting is in, in my my job selling closing gifts to real estate agents, I in a given week, I have conversations with maybe 10 to 20 realtors. And I have for the past uh, 13 years, I want to say. And so in 2019, uh, Steve Chater and Janice Jody, my friends who wrote this book, uh, they gave me this book and I read it. And the book is very easy and it's a very simple read. And it's all about uh, just buy it, buying and holding real estate. It's not about short-term rentals at all. It's about just traditional buy and hold, long-term renting out uh, a house. And the premise of the book is that just through like appreciation and tax savings, and even if you were just making a couple hundred dollars a month renting out your house, that your average cash on cash return is about 28%. So as I was reading this book in my backyard in 2019, I had a mix of emotions. I was excited, but I was actually pissed because I thought to myself, I talked to so many realtors in a given week. And how is it that no realtor had ever like mentioned real estate investing to me? And I thought to myself, I thought back to, you know, my the first house I had bought in 2009 and the second house I bought in 2018. And I'm like, wait a minute, how come those two realtors didn't ask me if I was interested, my husband and I, why didn't they ask us if we would like to invest in real estate? Why didn't the, all the realtors I, I speak to you on a weekly basis on all the my coffee dates at Starbucks selling closing gifts? Why wasn't this ever brought up? I, I just don't understand. So there is the retail side of real estate and there's the investment side of real estate. And I just think, you know, realtors, I think it's a huge disservice to their clients to not bring this up, the, the real estate, you know, why, hey, hey, do you, would you like to build wealth through real estate investing? <laughs> you know? yeah. But I, I think the challenge there, Jenny, is that most real estate investors or most real estate agents are not investors themselves. Exactly. Um, so if they're not educated on that process, it'll be difficult for them to to educate their clients. But something I want to go back to, just you, you talking about kind of what you were doing, or I guess even what you're still doing right now. Um, if you can tell people what Cutco is, and also, you know, like you said, for a lot of people, their their goal is I want to get out of my W-2 as fast as humanly possible. And uh, it, it seems like you've taken a slightly different approach where you, you've you built this, you know, healthy W-2 income. Um, so I, I guess what is Cutco? And then why are you not as eager, do you think, as others to kind of walk away from your day job? Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually, I'm not W-2. I'm I'm 1099. Right. Um, I'm not eager to walk away for a lot of reasons. Well, I really, I truly enjoy what I do. I'm doing this for a long time. And also, when you're a real estate investor, you need to have income. <laughs> if you want to buy properties, you can only buy, I, I think it's like maybe 10, 10 properties or something like that with traditional financing before you have to look into like DSCR loans and other financing, which have higher interest rates. So we've been fortunate in that when we do buy property, uh, we've never had a hard time because we're able to show a pretty healthy income. And I also know, you know, short-term rental, it's, it is, you know, it might be, it might be a little up and down. We've been very fortunate that we've been very consistent with all of our properties, but we, um, I like having that safety net of my, my two day jobs or day businesses, if you want to call them that. 
because uh, I am self-employed technically, but my income is pretty stable. There's a lot of benefits too from having that healthy kind of 1099 W2 income, whatever it is. But like Cutco specifically, um, there's a guy, his name is Justin Donald. Yeah, I know Justin. Yeah, he runs uh, the Lifestyle Investor. And, um, you know, he talked about like the, the incredible alumni that have come from Cutco and like multi, multi-million, I think even one of them was like a billionaire guy that, that started off working at, at Cutco. So just really quickly, not to get too like off track here, but like what were some of the things that you liked or like, I, I don't know, what are some of the skills when you developed working at Cutco? Because it seems like there's just a consistent number of people who come out of that company just extremely successful. Oh, yeah. So definitely, you know, you have to you have to make it happen. Uh, nothing comes to you. You know, it's really like what you create. Um, people skills, lots of phone calls. So uh, reaching out to people. When I actually started with Cutco, I was a miserable failure. And I was um, one of the worst uh, sales reps in my office of like 50 people. And I struggled a lot. But I just I decided when I started with Cutco that I was going to make it work. And I was going to hit the top promotion no matter what it took. And I didn't have any skill. And I actually still with short term rental, I am not the smartest, you know, cookie out there. Um, I'm in a mastermind group with about 15 people across the country called Faster. Huge shout out actually to Madison Blow. She's awesome. She's our leader. And I'm constantly asking. People probably laugh at me in our group because I'm I'm asking like the dumbest questions. But you know, with with real estate investing, you just have to decide that you're going to do it. And there's like no ifs, ends or buts. And you're just doing it. So when I started Cutco and when I started, you know, Real Producer, the magazine I, I run, you just you make that decision and you just say there's no ifs, ends, or buts. You go into it knowing that it's going to be really hard, but you're just going to do it. And that's like the end of the story. It's more important to have mindset than skill because you can get the skill and you can get the training and listen to podcasts, but you just have to have the tenacity. So with real estate, when we bought that first property in Milwaukee, we were extremely scared and extremely nervous, but I actually reached out to uh, a realtor from the Bigger Pockets uh, forum, Marcus Arbuck in Milwaukee, and that relationship with him and having a realtor that was an investor himself and part of the Bigger Pockets community, that was paramount to our success. So it's it's like the who, not how with real estate investing masterminds, the right realtors to come alongside you, the right lenders, and making the, the right decisions is the key to success, not necessarily skill. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's that's the right mindset to have. And honestly, I really can appreciate uh, you coming on here and saying, you know, well, first giving us numbers about how well you do at your at your cut code job. But it's also pretty amazing that you still want to do that. And I think this is a mistake that a lot of people get into is you know, they they might make six figures at their job and they're like, yeah, yeah, as soon as I make that in real estate, I'm going to quit. But it's sort of like, why would you, right? Because you still, you're not just replacing your income, you need the extra income to keep investing into your portfolio. So I think the way you're doing it is the best way because effectively your job is supercharging your portfolio in 10, 15, 20 years from now. You're, you're going to have a giant portfolio that can help you retire. So I think that's a great way to do it. You told us a little bit about this book that you read, Hold, and kind of sparked this whole like, why didn't anybody tell me about real estate? After reading Hold, and now that you have the knowledge, what's your motivation and what's your why? So we have a four-year-old son, and I know there's other ways to build wealth, and you know, and there's like syndications, and there's there's multifamily, and there's other other ways to do this. 
But what excites us is to one day when we pass on to leave him a bunch of cool properties that are going to be paid off. And what I really like about the whole book is just the whole, the whole, you know, using other people's money to pay down debt. And that's why I really like single family real estate investing, even though let's just say, you know, worst case scenario, even if you're breaking even, right? Still, other people are still paying down your your debt. And we actually didn't intentionally set out to create this, but now our portfolio does happen to consist of some pretty cool properties across the country. So it is cool one day, you know, for him, you know, maybe he'll tell his friends, oh, I, I own a beach property. I own mountain properties. I have a desert property, you know, and I have a lake property in Wisconsin. And that is kind of cool to think about. So Jenny, you told us about your first short-term rental in Milwaukee. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the short-term rental rules that you broke with this property. So the Milwaukee property was our first one. And I guess the the rule that was broke is we actually bought this property in like a B minus C neighborhood um, because we were limited with what we could afford. I still would say it was in a golden triangle by my definition because it was five minutes to the biggest one of the biggest hospitals in town. It was eight minutes to the airport and like eight minutes to downtown. And it was on a really nice street. So it actually worked out. And what's interesting is to, to date, it's our highest rated property. Yeah. I mean, let's let's talk about that for a bit, Jenny, because I, I think that's an important topic that, you know, your your ability to get highly rated as an Airbnb host, a lot of it depends on your property and your ability to be a good host. But a lot of it also depends on the expectations of your guest. And if your guest is planning their once a year vacation with their spouse and their kids, maybe even their grandchildren. And, you know, this is the one time a year where the entire family gets together. Their expectations of your property and the location are going to be pretty high, right? Because this is that one time a year. Maybe they took time off of work. They cash in some vacation time. Um, but if your guest is traveling for a week offsite working somewhere else and all they're doing is going back to that apartment after dark, you know, and grabbing some takeout, eating, going to sleep and waking up and doing that all over again, their expectation of your property is going to be completely different. So I think the the traveler profile of your chosen market plays a huge role in your ability to get, uh, I think, better reviews. Exactly. Yes. And so again, no one, no one is really coming here to vacation. Um, they're coming here because they're working here. They might be going to a wedding. We get some like bachelorette parties. There are some festivals in the summertime, and the price is right too. You know, we sleep ten people, but it's a really good price, and the the guest expectations are definitely met as well. So we've almost never had a less than five-star review ever at wow, this property. Great. Yeah. Awesome. It's really interesting. So when you can even compare that to our amazing storybook cabin that we have in the Smokies, we have a lake property in Wisconsin too that's spectacular. We get more four-star uh, four-star reviews there than we do in my Milwaukee property, which is very interesting. Rob, so we, we talk a little bit about like breaking rules in, in the Airbnb short-term rental industry. Like, have you broken any rules recently that have worked in your favor? Because I can think of a rule that I broke that did not work in my favor, but I'm, I'm curious what, what's happened for you recently. Yeah. So I think beds are overrated. So I stopped putting them in my short-term rental. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> Who needs beds? Uh, <laughs> so I think for me, the biggest rule I ever broke was just being sort of like, a pioneer in a market that didn't necessarily have comps. 
now there are a lot of comps because, uh, you know, I, I opened my mouth on YouTube. But um, yeah, you know, I, I often will just throw a dart out there, hope it lands and just hope that it books with the, the research knowing that the traffic goes through and the market is underserved. And that's a really scary thing. It's a really, really scary thing. Not just when you're investing with your money, but when you're investing with an investor's money, it really changes your parameters because you can't look an investor in the eye and say, hey, there are no comps. I think it's going to work, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be a little bit more conservative when you're partnering up or working with someone else's money. Whereas when I just do my own things, I like to experiment and I like to just buy stuff. That's why I'm in so many markets. I like buying stuff in different markets. And sure, I might be the only one in that market, but at least it tells me that my hunches are correct. And I just like having a little bit of confirmation to know like, if you set up a really nice, awesome, amazing short-term rental, will the people come to it? And I think the answer is most of the time, yes. What about what about you? Well, Rob, you, you bring up a really good point, man. And, and honestly, both you and Jenny are far braver and more courageous than I am because typically we don't go into a market if we don't see at least like triple digits when it comes to the number of listings in that city. Like I'm too afraid to be number four. Like you mentioned, you were Jenny, because it, like you said, Rob, it is hard to, to really comp and, and kind of understand, um, I don't know, I guess like, is it actually going to work? So I, I usually, I, I don't want to be like the, the pioneer in a market. I want to see some proven people go before me. And then I just want to go in and, and do my best to, to outperform them. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to hiring, you can't afford to wait for great talent to find you. Find them first with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make your moves count. Bought a rental? That's a move. Made some serious stock gains? That's a move. Quit your job to go full-time on your side hustle? That's a move. Relocated for a fresh start? Okay, that's literally a move. Your moves made a big difference in your life last year. Now it's time to make the most of your moves. Whether you moved on from a job, made moves in your own business, did some side hustling, or house flipped your way to financial freedom, TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction that you deserve, filing with 100% accuracy, and getting your max refund guaranteed. Switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. TurboTax will make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high. It's a simple concept, right? But not necessarily an easy concept. Right now, high interest rates have crushed the real estate market. Prices are falling and properties are available at a discount 
which means Fundrise believes that now is the time to expand the Fundrise Flagship Fund's billion-dollar real estate portfolio. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in minutes by visiting Fundrise.com pockets. Fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. So Jenny, all right. So you mentioned, you told us about this Milwaukee property and you told us that one of the rules you broke was buying in a, in a B or in a C class neighborhood. Now I know that some of the other parameters that you've set uh, when you're buying your properties is investing in the, the golden triangle. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah. So just making sure that there's like in that area, uh, you're close to a couple hotspots. So for that particular city, is really close to a major regional hospital, really close to the airport, and really close to downtown. So it's like a sort of being in the middle of like a culmination of things, right? Like being exactly in between yeah. traffic. Yeah, this is something that that I talk about a lot. I like being in between two major hubs. Triangle is even better if you can be in the middle of three. But this is a reason why one of my properties works is because it is outside of three major cities. And you sort of have to drive through it to get to those other cities. So sometimes I think secluded and being out there and a little bit outside of the metropolitan areas is okay when you know that people are sort of a captive audience on their travels. They have to go through your city to make it to the other destination, right? And so you can be that pit stop for them. I would say like an example of this would be in between Austin and Dallas, there's Waco. Waco is a very popular spot. Chip and Joanna Gaines have made it popular and it's like the mid midway point in between. And so I've always said that's a really great rental market because people like stopping in, you know? Yeah, exactly. Let me ask one follow-up question. Since both of you are such pioneering trailblazers here, what do you guys need to see to make you feel comfortable to invest in some of these like further out markets? Like if I'm far enough, can I just throw in enough hot tubs and, you know, game rooms and all these cool amenities to make up for it? Or is there something else that you're looking for um, outside of what you guys just said to to really make you feel confident? One thing I look for my my buy box is I I'm tr- I'm trying to look for homes under 400,000 that are going to gross over 100,000. Wow. So going on uh, Price Labs market dashboards and seeing um, in that, you know, immediate area, seeing if homes are doing that doesn't always have to be exactly that, but that's, that's ideally what I'm looking for. I really look for like the overall home price is what I'm looking for. I've never spent more than 400 grand on a house. Okay. Yeah. And if you ever find any of those $400,000 homes that gross 100000 and you decide <laughs> not to buy it, please send them our way. Well, all, uh, pretty much all my homes are in that in in that ratio or similar to that ratio. Not yeah, too yeah. far off from that or the projections are somewhat close to that. They don't have to be spot on, but they're in that ballpark or I don't, I don't do it. I think for me to answer your question, Tony, I don't think you can just like over amenity and, you know, overly design a place to be bookable in some markets, right? If you're like out in the middle of, you know, nowhere, there still has to be a compelling reason for people to go. I think what I'm always looking for is, I don't know, demogra- like for example, a college town, right? There's a lot of people in a college town. And if I look on Airbnb and there's only like 10 short-term rentals on there, and then those 10 short-term rentals were, the photos were taken with like, a BlackBerry, like the first BlackBerry that ever came out and then like furnished with Goodwill furniture, then I'm get really excited about that because I'm like, wow, like just one nice Airbnb can sort of scoop up the competition. And so for that reason, like 
you still have to be within reason. Like, I don't think you can just buy a place in the middle of Kansas, right? Where the nearest city is three hours away and expect people to go. But I'll give you an example of, of a place. Um, unfortunately, I did not end up closing on this property, but I, I was in escrow on this amazing dome home about 30 minutes south of Denver in Castle Rock. And I was so excited about it because it was a destination for people you know, that live in Denver and that are going to the national park and stuff. They would be willing to drive 30 minutes out to get here. And it is in between two cities and it was super unique, had amazing views. And I just thought for me, that one really checked a lot of boxes. And that one, I was going to do a lot of stuff, design, hot tubs, game rooms, everything, because I knew that that there was a, an immediate need in that market because all of the Airbnbs out there were sort of like travel destination type of Airbnbs, but they didn't really have any amenities. The views weren't as good. So I'm getting sad talking about it because I did, I did end up not closing on it. But to me, that one did check the box because it was so close to Denver. Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a balance that you want to be able to strike. And that's basically what you, you both of y'all have kind of spoken to is like, how do you how do you get close enough so that it's not inconvenient for your guests to get to where they're trying to go, but not so close that now you're 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 beating or, or breaking that ratio of being able to get 100K yeah. on a $400,000 purchase price. But I, I think one thing that does make it easier to kind of be on the outskirts is not just the amenities, but also just kind of the uniqueness of your property, mm-hmm. right? Like if, if you have something that's really cool that people can't really really book somewhere else, it, it makes them more willing to, to kind of make that drive. So Jenny, I'm, I'm curious, you talked a little bit about having some of these unique properties. Can can you walk us through like when you say unique, what does that mean? Like, like what are those property structures look like? What are you offering guests? Yeah, I actually want to ask you guys about this too. So it depends on the market. And this is what I want to get your um, thoughts on. So Take the Smokies, for example. We, I have two properties there. And one is this Hansel and Gretel style cabin, storybook cabin. Super cute. We don't have a view. We're about 20 minutes from Pigeon Forge in Gatlinburg. But it's very unique and very small, very cute. But very uh, has very antique feel. Guests feel like they walked into Snow White's cabin. There really is truly no other that I've seen, no other cabin in the Smokies like it. So uh, very rustic. A lot of cabins in the Smokies are going modern, and it does very well. Uh, then we we had land across from that cabin that we just completed a build on uh, back in February. And I thought our build was pretty unique. I still think it's pretty unique, you know, like floor to ceiling windows has a really cool look to it. So we put this on Airbnb and, you know, I, then I look on Airbnb and I'm like, oh man, it appears that everyone in the Smokies has just also completed a new build. <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts on, on these, uh, on, on a market like the Smokies, you know, quote unquote saturated, would you buy more property there in 2023? Would you advise anyone that you're mentoring to buy more property there? Would you would you build there? What would you do in a build there to make it stand out? And I'm sure you get this question a lot. Um, so what what is your take on that? And And also, how do you make your properties stand out in markets like that, in markets like Joshua Tree? in those sort of markets. I'm not talking about, you know, I have, I have properties too in, you know, central Wisconsin where the mo- the masses are not flocking to, but in a place like the Smokies where you both own property and what's your take on that? 
Mm, Tony, you go first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a yeah. There, there's a lot of layers to this. I think the first part that I'll answer is on like, okay, d- does it still make sense to kind of buy in a market like the Smokies that's quote unquote unsaturated uh, or that's oversaturated? Um, it, just really quick on that on like the whole saturation piece. And I know Rob, you, you talked about this before too. Mm-hmm. That um, I think people throw around the word saturation kind of too loosely. There was a big fire in the Smokies back in 2016, and even in 2023, we're still not up to the number of cabins that were present in that market in 2016. Um, so demand has continued to increase in the Smoky Mountains, but uh, supply still isn't where it was uh, back in 2016. Um, so I, I think we probably have some ways before we can call that market saturated. I do think that we've seen in, in you know the last 24 months uh, a big run up on prices in that market, and I think that's where the challenges come. Like my cabin, the first cabin that I bought during COVID, it's doubled in value. But our revenue has not doubled, right? So what does that mean? It means if I'm paying double the amount of money for the same amount of revenue, I just cut my my return in half. At a 7% interest rate. At a 7% interest rate, right? So I think that's where the challenges are in that market where you've seen revenue kind of you know stay steady, which is it's strong revenue in that market. If you buy a cabin there, you're probably going to do well from a revenue standpoint, but it's how do I get my purchase price low enough or my interest rate low enough for it still to make sense. So I think that's the bigger challenge in that market. However, if I was going into a market where there's heavy competition, I think your ability to compete, first, it comes down to your ability to buy right, right? You want to make sure that you're not overpaying in that market, you're getting a good deal. But second, it comes down to your ability to give the guests something that they're not able to get at other properties. So I'll give you an example for um, our properties in Joshua Tree. A lot of people say that Joshua Tree is oversaturated, right? And hey, I shouldn't go buy in this market. And it is true that the supply has increased, but if you're a professional host, that's what you expect to happen. And it's on you to try and identify ways to uh, increase your revenue. So what we did at one of our properties in Joshua Tree, um, we took our garage, which was just like a, it was locked to guest. And we just had like our washer and dryer inside of the garage. And uh, Sarah, my wife and I, we had stayed at an Airbnb in Orlando. And Orlando, if you want inspiration for like really cool design and amenities, like go to Orlando. And we stayed at this property that had this really cool, like Mario themed game room in the garage. And we looked at Joshua Tree and like, man, there's not a lot of properties that have cool game rooms in Joshua Tree. Like most of them are like, there's like yoga studios and maybe a Peloton or, or maybe a pool table, but to do something really, really cool, it just wasn't happening out there at a, at a high level. So we took one of our garages, we spent $12,000 to convert it into this really cool Mario themed game room. And as soon as we did that, our, our revenue skyrocketed for that property. So I think what you want to identify in whatever market you're in is what is the experience that's missing here? What's something that I've seen work well in other markets that isn't present where I'm at right now? A, a last example for Joshua Tree, and I, I convinced Rob after like months and months of trying to get him to do this, but mm-hmm. was like hot tubs. Initially in Joshua Tree, hot tubs weren't a big thing. Um, and then I'd say in like 2021, you started to see more properties doing that. Um, and now, now it's almost like par for course if you want to compete in Joshua Tree. So I think that's my approach. That was a mouthful. Rob, I'll, I'll shut up, man. What do you think? I agree with all of that. Next. No, just <laughs> yeah. kidding. Um, yeah, so uh, Smoky Mountains is a uh, love-hate relationship. Um, I think that there is a run-up in prices um, with high interest rates. It makes it tough to get the the good old days of like 93% 
cash on cash returns, right? Like I got a property out there. I actually think it was probably like a 95%. I think we got all of our money back in that first year. Um, pretty close anyway. We would not be able to replicate that today. I think it would still be a good return. I just think it's probably a little bit more normalized in terms of like, yeah, I just don't think you can expect your initial down payment back in the first year if you're, if you're doing like a second home loan or anything like that. But what I would say is I think that the Smoky Mount- Mountains is actually an excellent starter market simply because a lot of the markets or a lot of the houses for sale, I would say like 95% plus, if not more, already come fully furnished. And because they're fully furnished, it makes the job so much easier to get that up and running because you can buy the property, fly out there, change maybe some art, maybe change out a couch or an accent chair, maybe some linens. But for the most part, you can get a property up and running extremely quickly because you're just optimizing what's there versus having to figure out how to ship fifteen to $25,000 worth of furniture to the Smoky Mountains where all the driveways are super steep. And the only way you can get a hold of furniture is by going to local store. It's just like so hard out there to set something up from scratch. So I think it's a really great starter market for that reason. Um, I just think that maybe it's a little bit... We've calibrated a little bit. Like you said, Tony, I think revenues are actually relatively consistent. Demand seems to be relatively consistent. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't wouldn't say yes or no. I just... I honestly haven't even looked on Redfin in the Smoky Mountains, particularly for in the last year, because I just got tired of losing on every bid because everyone was bidding like fifty to a hundred thousand dollars over. And now we're seeing price cuts every single day. And now I think maybe we're starting to return to like normal times again. Would you agree with that, Tony, or am I off base? No, no, I, I totally agree with you, man. I, I think um, in a lot of these big vacation destination markets, you know, our friend Avery Carl calls them blue chip markets, um, the Destins, the Joshua Tree, the, um, the Smoky Mountains, the Broken Bows, you saw a massive run up in prices over the last two years. And I think we're starting to see them kind of come back down to um, reality a little bit. But Jenny, I'm, I'm curious for you, right? So you heard our, our perspective on it. So when you think about your own property, I guess what what lessons did maybe you take away about your ability to try and compete in these markets that you're in to, to, with the unique experiences, at least? Yeah, yeah. So my first two rentals are just to be honest, they're really not unique at all. They don't really have to be because they're they're not in markets that are flooded <laughs> Um, so the third rental was the, the Hansel and Gretel style. And we, because it is the Smokies, we actually did acquire that fully furnished, but it wasn't living up to its potential. It was furnished, but it, it really needed a little bit of, um, sprucing up. So we, we took the, the, the base that was already there and then we spent about three or four grand and we enhanced it a little bit more. So we really played up that more. So it doesn't have any extra amenities that other cabins don't have, but it has like this old world rustic vibe, old wood green strove, this super like fairy tale esque look, whimsical look to it. The new build across the road, um, kind of has, uh, it's not a tree house, but parts of it do have like a tree house look where you are, go upstairs. It has floor to wall windows where you look outside and you're kind of like in a tree house, big wraparound deck. It has a rustic meets modern look. We didn't want to go too modern, but we didn't want to go too rustic. We wanted to have like a Smokies look with a little bit of modern. And then we have another property in, uh, near the Grand Canyon where we actually built like a little custom golf course. But we actually had a really bad experience with our contractor and he made the golf course look really bad. It looks kind of like kind of like homemade, hodgepodge, not really well put together. So what we did in our listing is we actually embraced that 
And we kind of made fun of it and we called it the redneck golf course because we know that it looks bad. And we had some people look at that and say, oh, my gosh, you cannot. You have to get rid of it. We're like, no, we're not getting rid of this. Like, let's just embrace it. Let's make fun of it. And guests love it. Oh, okay, Wait, that cool. is, I yeah. just got, I yeah, got it. I love it. That, that's like so smart. It's like, let's just purposely do things like really poorly and inexpensively. And then we'll call it like, you know, the bootleggers version of, of whatever it is. That's, that's super smart. See, now, and this is that. what we call marketing. Yeah. And you are an expert marketer. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am I am a veteran salesperson, but actually, what's funny is a week ago, and then um, I, so I actually I if I can plug someone else, I actually paid someone. Her name is Kate Chilling. She's amazing. She is um an Airbnb listing optimizer, and I just hired her for two of my properties. And she a few weeks ago, she goes, Jenny, are you doing lifestyle photos for your properties? And I'm like, what the heck is a lifestyle photo? I never heard of such a thing. So what she's recommending is that you hire a model to go to your properties and kind of take these cool pictures where the picture isn't about them, but they're like enjoying your property. So we went up to my Grand Canyon property and we had a model set, but they had a canceled day of. Well, there was no one else to be in the picture. So my four-year-old and I and my husband, we went up there and we kind of were, you know, we had to be in the picture. So we went on the Red Knot Golf Course, me and my four-year-old, and the photographer got a picture of my my son playing on the golf course. And I was in a distant background. You could barely see me, which is the point of it. So now we have pictures of our listing with my son on the Red Knot Golf Course. So on the Airbnb listing, the caption is, you know, cheer on your kids while they play on the Red Nut Golf Course. And so we kind of embraced it even more, you know. It actually fits our listing because that's a manufacturer. Speaking of breaking the rules, that listing is a manufactured home remodeled. Wow, okay. People told me not to do that, but the numbers work and the guests absolutely love it. And no one has ever said in their review Oh my gosh, it was a manufactured home. It was a trailer. People don't even know their state in a trailer, but it does kind of fit. It's a rural kind of like farm, you know, redneck golf. It just totally fits and people love it. So that's cool. Yeah. You know, I've often considered asking uh, Tony Robinson to come and model for all of my Airbnbs. So I will take that <laughs> that tip and uh, and convince him to do that. I'm actually building a, a mini golf course on one of my properties too. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that you've gotten good traction from it. I'm going a little extra with it and it will be like a, a full on... Well, man, now you actually... To be honest, you got me a little scared because I'm like, I'm pretty sure my, my contractor is going to pull this off. But now I'm like, uh-oh, what if he doesn't? It is somewhat more complex than it needs to be, but... I don't think that there are really a lot of mini golf courses out there. And I think that's just a really cool amenity. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. I've never thought about the lifestyle photos either. Yeah. I've considered it, but I just don't know anyone that's done it. And it sounds like it's working for you, right? So one helpful tip too for any listeners. Uh, apparently, there are lifestyle photographers out there. They're extraordinarily expensive. So we just found a local photographer, like a photographer that just like they take, you know, wedding photos, graduation photos. And he actually offered to bring the model himself. So th- that would be the, probably the easiest way to find the right photographer for this. So not a listing photographer, just a people photographer. Oh, and then t- a couple other listings, what we did to make them stand out. We bought an off-market house in Florida. We bought this house and there's apparently what we learned about this market is in, in Panama City Beach, you have to have a pool, apparently. No one told me that. We can't put a pool in because of our yard. We have step, we're have we on septic. 
So we are getting a cowboy pool and we know that it's not ideal, but it is what it is. <laughs> so we're going to do a mini golf with a cowboy pool. And then we also turn our garage at that house into a really cool game room. And then we have another property in uh, central Wisconsin and we converted that garage into a game room. And then we made our yard at that property uh, at night. It turns into like this whimsical, almost like fairyland. We have solar lighting everywhere, hot tub, all that. So those are some ways that we kind of make, you know, make our property stand out. And moving forward, um, I really like themed Airbnbs. I think that's a really smart idea too. Did you add all of those different like amenities after the Airbnb had been running or did you launch with those amenities? Yeah. So for the the central Wisconsin one, we we did add that a few months after like the game room um, and the hot tub. And we did see a pretty big difference in bookings. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, do you have any, what what else, the, the redneck uh, mini golf or whatever, that you didn't launch with that either, right? I did launch with that, yes. Oh, you did launch with that one. Okay. Um, and then was there another property that you added? The I guess the Panama City Beach, did you add the cowboy pool, which is basically one of those horse troughs that are above ground. They're relatively small. They can be big. Yeah. Pretty cost and effective, I'd say. But how, did, what, yeah. did you launch with that as well? Yeah. We, um, we're adding that next week, but we already started marketing that we're going to add it. So we put a picture of what it's going to look like. And we did see a pretty big difference in bookings once we added that we're going to have have it. Um, and that one is actually pretty big. It's it's uh, there's a company um, called Gypsy Pools in Florida that provides it, and they have four different sizes. So hopefully, it might attract more people with toddlers, you know. But yeah. but that's okay, you know. Cool. Yeah, I just uh, I, I don't know if you know this, Tony, but I just added a pickleball court to my Scottsdale property. Oh, dude, you've been talking about that for a while, man. I know, I know. Uh, I finally convinced David to let me do it. And, uh, <laughs> okay, so it increased the revenue for June so far 25% from last year. And then wow. yeah, cool. we already booked like so much more money, I would say, so much faster. Like last year, it just didn't launch as fast as we thought. It did fine. But like now the bookings are rolling in like every single booking, basically every single weekend is going to be booked for us forever. And then we just found this other website called Swimply where you can like uh, rent out your pool, but they just added pickleball courts to the to the actual amenities that you can rent out individually outside of Airbnb. So we're going to try to actually rent out our pickleball court for $100 an hour on during the weekdays. And then we'll have pretty massive like... $2,000 a night bookings for our week, like Friday through Sunday, basically. Dude, congrats on the pickleball court. And and like you said, it, it has a, a measurable impact on revenue, on profitability. Um, so that, I guess that leads into my next question, Jenny. In, in terms of your portfolio, when you look at kind of what you've seen so far, what are your what do your numbers look like? Like give us give us some give us the the nitty gritty on on what kind of revenue we can expect to generate with a portfolio like yours. Yeah, so Milwaukee uh, grosses about forty to fifty thousand a year. Um, keep in mind, you know your net. I think most short term rental investors would say their net is about half of their gross. That's pretty typical. So that's Milwaukee. Um, I I should say though, had we spent a little bit more, there are properties that will gross like a hundred thousand a year. You know, there um, the right properties like a like a five bedroom downtown, those types of things. And that I think can be achieved in, like I said, any Midwestern city. Then we have the 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 central Oklahoma one. Again, that was 90, 92,000 purchase price, 39,000 gross last year. The third property was Storybook on the Hill in the Smokies. 
and that's about 20 minutes from Gatlinburg and 20 minutes from Pigeon Forge. That was purchased for 350000 and it came with an extra lot. So that was a good buy. That was in 2021. That grossed 78000 last year. And then the new build, all in, uh, across the road, that was launched last February. That with furniture, with landscaping, with, you know, the, 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 my $10,000 kitchen that I had to get with all the extras, the build was 371,000, but with all the extras, it was 450 out the door, but that is projected. I'm hoping that's going to gross 90,000 in 2023. We might get to a hundred thousand, maybe. So maybe I say in the nineties is my best guess for that one. And then the fourth property was Grand Canyon. I think that was number four. We remodeled this 1984 trailer. This all with the remodel, I believe was about 280. So 280 all in and um, 12 month cycle of 50 to 60,000. And then Panama City, Florida, we just bought and launched it um, in April. We bought it because uh, we found this through a wholesaler and it was $100,000 under value. So it's worth 425. We bought it for 290. And then we put like 25,000 into it to rehab it. So a little over 300,000 and we're hoping that one grosses like 75,000. Oh, I'm missing something. I'm missing my favorite, uh, one of my favorite properties is our central Wisconsin resort property um, out in the country. So this one was 371,000 before furniture and everything. And this one grosses a little over 100,000. So this is like my golden standard property and any future properties I would want to kind of have more look like this property that we have there. That's pretty that's pretty good. So ballpark you're going to do about 530 maybe 550 depending on where you're where you're at in that range. Like you said if you're, you know, holding an expense ratio of about 50%, you'll you'll net a little little over 250,000 bucks which is uh pretty good, you know, especially for, for that number, uh, that number of properties. So I guess it's, it's a really good return, I think for, for the cash you put into the business. So I'm curious, Jenny, what, if anything, would you, you know, kind of looking back now, say you were starting over today, what, if anything, would you have done differently as you built out this portfolio? I would have bought a little bit less and done more properties like, like my, uh, my favorite, the one, the one in, in uh, central Wisconsin. And there's nothing special about this area. It's just, it's a little bit bigger. You know, we sleep eight people. It's just, I think, working smarter, not harder. Again, I, I, just, I really like the Midwest. You know, I, yeah. I just, it's, it's not talked about a lot in the in the short term rental space, and you you can get cheaper properties. Don't, don't tell people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I also, I also like the, um, I hear a lot of good things about like the Northeast, like the, the mid, like, you know, Pennsylvania, kind of like those, those areas too, Ohio, um, lots of good stuff in Ohio, places like that, because you can, you know, you can get big, nice properties for like, you know, in the 200s, the 300s, you know, in this particular property, we don't, we're not in a big city, like, you know, Milwaukee, so we don't deal with crazy property tax. I would have probably, if I had to do it over again, I would have... I would have probably just stuck to bigger luxury properties and um, probably less, you know, maybe th- like three to five luxury properties that will that would gross 100000 a year. That would be my, my recommendation. Definitely. 
I think when that when we started, for some reason, I, th- I think some investors think it's like a a game of like h- how many, you know, like three, five, ten, whatever. Like it's not a game of how many. <laughs> it's not like a race. Like you don't get a prize because you have how many. You know, it's it should be quality, not quantity. A hundred percent agree. So tell us, I mean. It seems like you've sort of figured this thing out. What would you say some of the keys to success are for the people that are getting into the Airbnb and short-term rental game in 2023? And why are they different from what people think? Well, I've absolutely not figured this out. Um, I'm still figuring this out. I think you're pretty close, though. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Rob. Um, some of the keys to success are joining mastermind groups, You know, having having friends in the space that can be pretty lonely. And actually, your friends that are not doing this um, will not understand you. <laughs> it uh, Not everyone's going to be super happy for you and, and super thrilled for you. It's really going to be important to form friendships with other investors. That's going to be really key. Other big tips would be to really think about what you want the end to look like. A couple years ago, we just kind of took things that were thrown at us and came at us that we didn't really think enough about what is the end goal here. If we would have thought more about that, we would probably have, you know, three or four luxury properties like our lake property in Wisconsin and just done things a little bit more strategically and a little bit smarter. So really, I would say, you know, anyone starting this journey or even if you're like a little bit, you know, a year in or two years in or no matter how experienced you are, I would recommend taking a step back and just ask yourself a year from now, five or 10 years from now, where do I really want to be at? Like, what is my strategy? And say no more often. And just realize that when you say no to things, you're actually saying yes to to something else. Yeah, that's great. So have a vision for five to 10 years, find a community, find a mentor in this space. And then one that you didn't list, but is obviously just a, a really great recurring theme of the episode is break the rules. Uh, I think I think that's one that people should really digest because I think breaking the rules, when it comes down to it, just means taking a bet on yourself that you can get through whatever rules you're breaking and that it's going to be a successful result. So I appreciate you sharing all that. T- Tony, anything else? Did I miss anything? I mean, I feel like we can both probably take a page out of Jenny's book here. Yeah. Uh, you've taught us. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going back and looking at my notes. I think the other thing too, Jenny, and, and again, you didn't... I don't think you explicitly said this, but it's it's giving yourself grace to make mistakes uh, because you said you made a lot of mistakes at the beginning, but you're you're a better investor because of it. And I think for a lot of people who are starting, you know, and I'm, I'm putting on my my rookie hat here. I think for a lot of people that are, are starting, part of what holds them back is that fear of just royally messing things up. But I think we all have to remember that in order to be great, you have to be good. And in order to be good, most people start off bad. And in order to be bad, you at least got to try. And you've got to go through that those steps to, to really get to a point where you're confident and you're comfortable. So I appreciate you sharing both the, the highs, obviously, you know, half a million bucks in revenue, but also the, the lows, the mistakes you made and how it made you a better investor. Yeah, totally. Well, thanks for having me. It was such an honor. Yeah, of course. Well, tell us, where can people find out more about you if they, they want to connect, if they want to find you on the socials, on the interwebs? Where, where can people reach out? So they can connect either right on BiggerPockets app. And my username is JennyV1. So that's my name with an I, capital V, the number one. Or on Instagram, my profile is JennyVega underscore AZ. 
AZ stands for Arizona. And if you want to email me, you can reach me at Sharp Jenny Vega, Sharp S H A R P, my full name, Sharp Jenny Vega at Gmail. Awesome. Okay. And what about you, Tony? Um, yeah, people can reach me on Instagram at Tony J. Robinson. Uh, also, obviously, uh, on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Rookie Podcast, we put out episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. And if you're a rookie looking to get started in the world of real estate investing, come hang out with me and my co-host, Ashley Care on, on that side of things. Cool. And uh, we, we will. And it's a good... I mean, you know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the invite, but that's okay. Um, it is one of the best. It is the one of, one of the... It's the top five for me. I listen to that one more than I think every other podcast. So thank you, Tony, for for teaching me as well. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you can find me over on Rob Bill on YouTube and on Instagram as well. And uh, you can also find me on the Apple platform where you can leave us a five-star review. So please go and do that. We read all of them and uh, we love your feedback and we love the five stars and it helps us get served up to new audience as well. So with that, thank you so much, Jenny. We appreciate you coming and sharing your knowledge with us. And we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Bigger Pockets. This is Robert for Tony, the Airbnb model, Abasolo, out. I'm pretty sure I did that wrong, but it sounded cool in my head. Not only did I mess that up by saying Tony's first name, but I added my last name to it. So... Yeah, it's just what happens when David Green is gone. Things go (laughs) crazy. Bye, everyone. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.